We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. I mean, baseball. You, Roth. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good, man. Happy baseball. I'm loving. I'm loving my Mets run to the NLCS. This is one of the most exciting times as a fan that you can ask for. Have not lost a playoff game yet. Astounding. Just an yeah. incredible turn of events for the New York Mets. You don't want to say, I told you so. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk about actual baseball, too. Like the kind that's happening in the world, if you want. We are, we are due to talk about actual baseball. To that end, our guest is Defector Visual Editor and aggressively Philadelphia person, Dan McQuaid, the Lone Wolf. How you doing, Dan? Good, good. I'm doing real well because I'm in Philadelphia right now and... Uh, Things are going fantastic with our sports. Oh God! You you know, it's funny you call me the the lone wolf. Obviously, there was a a movie in the eighties, Chuck Norris, uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid, and that's right. I'm happy to be called the lone wolf. That was the name of my column in my college newspaper. No one. That's awesome. (laughs) No one got the reference, despite the fact of us being like, I don't know, like it was like a little old of a movie for us, but. Well, whatever. But they made that movie into a television show. And fortunately, they could not get the rights to the name Lone Wolf McQuaid. So it became Walker, Texas Ranger. And like, oh, did it? Thank goodness that that they did not get the rights or else I, I would have heard like Chuck Norris jokes for a good uh, probably forever for the for for my yeah, whole life when like Chuck Norris jokes were a thing that would have been my life for for yeah ever that was those jokes were the entirety of Facebook for like two years before like the Nazis got in there it was really it was a How more innocent time. How could you not time. secure the valuable IP of the character <laughs> of Lone Wolf McQuaid? <laughs> I, 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 not, I do a not Marvel understand. Character. Nowadays there would be a whole a whole Lone Wolf McQuaid EU. Uh, yeah. Where you know I, I'm not I'm not sure what other films could fit into the Lone Wolf McQuaid universe. Maybe maybe sidekicks. We'll say we'll say I sidekicks. Think they would just keep making progressively darker versions of it. Like there'd be like like Lone Wolf Origins, and then like a few years later Ooh. there'd be one called The Lone Wolf that is just like entirely dark. I like yeah. It. And hear people fighting. I like it. And like like there'd be like an origin story. Of like yeah. the guy at the deli who serves him coffee every episode, and then like <laughs> like Harrison Ford would grudgingly agree to star in it for like twenty million dollars. Like it would be cool. So By the you way, look up and you've seen his parents die on film five different <laughs> times. <laughs> By the way, McQuaid, now you brought up uh, the name of your your college column. That is so much better than my high school column. Mine was Couch's Corner. That was the name of my column. Couch's Corner. All right, That's I like, like that. That was a you know all... what you don't you don't have to flatter me. It you was don't have no, to couch I like that. Views. It's like coach's corner, no, couch's corner. Because my my nickname because I would always be on the common room couch watching TV, primarily football and MTV at uh, at Exeter, and so everyone just like even the even the dorm faculty like started calling me Drew on the couch because it was just there's Drew on the mm-hmm. couch, and then it got got shortened to couch, and that became my nickname. And what a flattering nickname! Really, yeah. just ideal for someone for someone who was sixteen. Like, right. really, really, the station you want in life as a sixteen-year-old. Hey, look, we should talk about baseball. Where we're talking about doing nothing. Dan, your Phillies are in the National League Championship Series for the first time since twenty ten. They uh, are facing the Padres. They played Game One uh, the night before this episode recorded. They won it two nothing. The Padres haven't been in. Uh, the NLCS since 1998. This is a fucking cool series, uh, and I want to break it down. So I'm going to actually turn to Roth first because McQuaid, you're going to be biased here, and we're, we're having you on. We're having you on to be biased, but I, for for this lone moment, I want to hear objectively from Roth which team is better on paper, disregarding what happened in Game One. Inarguably, the Padres. I think okay. uh, I don't think that matters right now, though. I feel like the Phillies are going to go to the World Series. I don't understand it. I kind of watched the Phillies a lot this year, not as much as Dan, but I saw them plenty. And I mean, this is just the thing that happens. It happens to teams every year. That like remembering what the Phillies were like in April, which was at a time when they were uh, making multiple errors per game and their third baseman was caught saying, I fucking hate this place after uh, <laughs> getting sarcastic cheers from the home crowd when he successfully threw across the diamond against the Mets. That's the same team that's playing right now. It's like, I mean, the roster has been improved a little bit. They got rid of some of uh, 
the sort of like legacy hip injury guys that they had, but they've got the Holy Ghost in them right now. I don't know how it's happening, but well, they that's seem why a lot better. That, that's why Dan's here. Dan, can you explain why this has happened? Because this is a team that has a lot of name brand talent on it, right? So, and a lot of them are playing up to their potential here in the playoffs, or at least in the ramp up toward the playoffs. What has turned for this team? And don't just say the magic of Philadelphia sports fans. You have to give me something concrete, goddammit. That's definitely, there's zero chance of me saying the magic of Philadelphia the sports fans. I do think yeah, we, but- we may be better. I hate using the royal we here, but we may be better at the sarcastic cheer than than any other fans <laughs> Basically in, invented in the it. league. Yeah. They're, you know, this is like an opposite. This is the sarcastic boo. But uh, Billy Wagner got upset. That Phillies fans would boo when he only threw 99 miles an hour. And, like, he didn't seem to get it that it was, like, a joke. Like, people would go wild when he threw 100 miles an hour. This was before, like, every fifth reliever. Every, I'm sorry, every other reliever threw 100 miles an hour. Um, right. Uh, but, like, people would go wild. And so he'd throw, like, three pitches at 100. And then he'd throw one ninety nine, And people would boo as a gag. And he got, like, upset. Like, I believe legitimately upset about it. And it's like, no, 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 no. They're... They're like joking that that you're throwing a 99. pitcher, yeah, angry, yeah, yeah. right, yeah, yeah, right. He probably had like red hot on his balls or whatever. Yeah, like, <laughs> as we learned from uh, from from what's his name's ears, um, Joe Musgrove. Yeah, yeah I, I do. Ears. I do have to say, I do have to say that when I watched, I watched the Phillies eliminate the Braves, which was deeply satisfying because I fucking hate the Braves, and the Philly crowd was fucking great because they taunted the Braves with the chop. While they yeah. were sending them out, uh, I like, don't like that. I still find the chop annoying, even when it's yeah. Done. So you like, didn't I like? Don't wanna, I don't want to see it under any circumstances. But, but, but it was a funny. Like, it was yeah, a funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I people, didn't. Like, I didn't fans, mind it. Fans, one time weaponized against fans, the Braves. Fans were chanting for Brandon Marsh. Let's go, Brandon, which I think is really, really funny. The actual yeah. chant. <laughs> yeah. I can. Which live, uh, I can uh, live with that. Yeah. To that end, they I, I was again I was really happy to see um your team uh get rid of the Braves and the Braves. Because so, I, I didn't want another I didn't want another fucking World Series. So in Atlanta, you know, Roth said, you know, crowd. if you watch the way the Phillies were playing in April and looking at them now, if you watch the way they were playing two weeks ago, three weeks ago, yeah, right. they, they were I the remember playoffs. the lead to to Matt Gelb's story in the athletic, like a week before the season was like the Phillies are working on their biggest collapse since 1964. And that's like obviously a thing that, uh, you know, they were six and a half up with like 12 to play in, in 64. It's like an infamous sports collapse yeah. here. It's the year that my mom, uh, who would have been like 12 at the time, got into the Phillies. So she really was like prepared for uh, uh, what her life as a sports fan was. You know what? That's impressive like. that you know the year your mother Got into the Phillies. Yeah. Like I have no idea when my mom got into anything. You know, I I barely I like. It took me till I was like thirty eight to know how she met my father. <laughs> like, yeah, but I do feel like that's it helps when it's like a collapse like that. Like it's the sort of thing where someone's like, I remember the day that I first got into blimps. Like I was watching the Hindenburg <laughs> land in New Jersey. You know, it's just like one of those things where it, it's going to stick in the memory like that. Oh, I grew up near the Northeast. Philadelphia airport and like right before I left for college it was like Northeast Philly giving a present to me the blimps would dock like right on that edge of the airport like when blimps would go cover games in in Philadelphia they didn't dock at like the South Philly airport they docked at the one in the Northeast I don't know why but the blimp popped it was like on the ground and it was like just tethered in the way Fuck it off. and it popped wow. and we're driving and I'm like that blimp looks like it's deflating and like we got closer <laughs> and it was like it is deflating <laughs> so that's like, awesome yeah. like, I, I'm like you know no one was hurt so it's not even like the you know it's not like oh the humanity it was just like right. a, little right. bit of, a little bit of hilarity Right. You know, I'd Which fucking is, pay to watch so a blimp anyway, fucking deflate. Anyway, the Phillies, That'd you know, the it. pitching has generally held up over this postseason so far. You know, they gave up six to the Braves in that first game. Um, but, you know, they they were, uh, geez, it looked like at the start of the postseason, you know, they were down 2-0 going into the ninth in that game against the Cardinals. And I was like almost falling asleep on the couch. I was like, this is how I expected the Phillies playoffs to go. You know, they sort of stumbled <laughs> their way into the playoffs. And then they scored six in the in the ninth against uh, St. Louis. And 
eliminated them in a sweep and then they you know beat the Braves pretty pretty easily you know they're still not getting many runs they you know they got they got nine and eight in their last uh games against Atlanta so they so they are getting runs but but the other games they they haven't gotten you know um they, I feel like they've been spotty in their hitting but you know it's it's the playoffs. They're facing a lot that's of. That's also how they're built. Good, you know. I mean, they won pitchers. last night with two solo homers. Yeah. Right? Like that's basically like the way this lineup was designed to the extent that you could see a design in it. Like I, this is the part of it that is crazy to me. And I'm thinking back. I compare everything to the 2015 Mets because it's like the team that I think made the biggest impression on me as an adult. Sure. But it's the sort of thing where like you're seeing guys on the Phillies. Like at this point, every one of their their dudes that had had some sort of disappointing stretch or just a disappointing season has had that moment where like for the Mets, it was Daniel Murphy who he played with the energy of like a little league kid picking dandelions in the outfield. And yet like for two months at the end of the year, into the postseason, he was fucking Rogers Hornsby. These things happen. And he was like, Ferdinand the bull when right. he got stung by a bee. But having seen it was that sort of vibe, but like also evangelical Ferdinand the Bull from Jacksonville, Florida. It's a complicated. Oh yeah, yeah. You if you were there, then you know. But I saw Nick Castellanos make a diving catch in the outfield the other day. Like something weird is happening there. Like these are things that are not supposed to be going down. That like by you know on the merits should never happen, and they are happening for the Phillies. So even if they have to do the station to station shit that they were doing to no great effect earlier in the season, like it's clear to me that some sort of strange uh, effect has lowered itself over them. I don't know well, how long it, it lasts necessarily, but well, it sounds to me, Roth, that these playoffs are just random and that the best teams don't win. And that's not fair. <laughs> oh man. I to- was, I've been like a little, like I, I get that. Like, you know, like, like I'm sad. Like people are like, Oh, the expanded playoffs mean the better teams might not advance. And it's like, no shit. Like, Oh really? Yep. Like, Oh, <laughs> oh whoa, whoa, whoa. I even saw people like talking about how great the premier league was. Cause there's no playoffs. Like I thought that was just for like Euro cosplayers in, in America. Yep. They, <laughs> the funniest uh, one to me, baseball fans seeing- being like, wow, we should do things more like the premier league. Like you gotta be kidding me. I, I yep. you know, like, like obviously it's all like random and pointless, you know, like no, no shit. Like I said, like, I, I can't, I can't imagine like that being your take after the baseball playoffs. Like you just don't have to watch. I, I don't know. Like, like I get, I, if you're a baseball columnist and you're, you know, and you're like, wow, oh, the playoffs will be better if it were, you know, the hundred win teams instead of these crappy teams like that. I sort of get like, whatever you got to file a column. That's like certainly uh, an acceptable point, but just like, I don't know, non baseball columnists tweeting like long threads about how great, like how great, like it would be if there, if all this exciting stuff hadn't happened. Uh, I don't know. That's just boring to me. Like, like, uh, yeah, fuck that. Like that was also, I think you can tell, you can draw like a bright line between, cause the people we're talking about, to put the names on it, are like Keith Olbermann, who is a baseball pedant, and Joe Scarborough. These are the two guys. Yeah, that's right. Dan edited that blog, and they were, it's like, first of all, what the fuck is Joe Scarborough doing weighing in on this? Like, should I'm be- going to write a song about Keith, this. Right. Like, <laughs> Keith Olbermann, at least he's not like tweeting about like dogs that are about to die. Uh, so like, I'm fine yes. with him tweeting about something else. Joe Scarborough, I probably have blocked i don't know not even muted uh but no (laughs) but like yeah like uh, i don't know like i just feel like it's such an obvious point like i i I do think you can say like oh it would be better if it were it would be more fair if if these teams that won more games got to you know got further in the playoffs but uh, yeah like no shit that's that's not how that's not how playoffs work like you don't get any bonus for for being well you do you get you get home field advantage Win, win your Roth, games, you know. Right. Roth, I want, I want to use that point to talk about the other series, uh, the ALCS, because um, I, I just watched the Yankees uh, come back from 2-1 down to beat the, the Guardians in a five-game series. And in that game, I, re- I remember hearing Bob Costas talk about 
Like he was throwing out the payroll stats. They always do that where he's like, yep. oh, well, you know, the Yankees have triple the payroll of the Guardians. So it's like, like he's framing the Guardians as, you know, the scrappy underdog because they don't, you know, their payroll isn't as big. And it's like, motherfucker, the guy who owns the Guardians is richer than fucking Hank Steinbrenner. Yeah. And he elected not to spend that money. He didn't want to spend it because he wanted more to keep more for himself. So give me this fucking Cinderella bullshit about that motherfucker. It's corny as hell. Oh, uh, I never really... I mean, I never really thought of that. Like, yeah, because the Steinbrenners, like, where does, where did George Steinbrenner's wealth come from? Like, shipbuilding in Florida. <laughs> okay. So, so, I mean, it's like a so classic like most way of his of doing wealth it. eventually came from the Yankees, I assume. Yes, I don't know. I guess, absolutely. I guess shipbuilding can be a very lucrative industry, but still, like, right, there are way more. That's real 1819 shit. It is though. It's like being like, yeah, I was in the boat business. Like yeah. no one, not anymore. Is boat. that like they are? Their money is all in the Yankees. Yeah, boat stands for bust out another thousand. So yeah. Ooh, kind of listen, ooh, look at damn, you. Yeah. You know, I there's only a a two happy days too. in a boat owner's life. <laughs> right. You know, we I like love to do. That we like to do some boat jokes. Uh, we like to do boat jokes here on the podcast. The to me though, I think that point, Drew, is like very well taken and i don't know why there's still this i mean i do i guess i get it you know that anytime a team from cleveland is playing a team from new york like you kind of have this template of a narrative and you can just like run that out without changing any of the tk text if you don't care what's funny is that costas like bob costas is speaking at a rate during the average major league baseball podcast that puts me to shame on this podcast oh yeah it's like just <laughs> fucking goes and like the idea that you do all of that and you just apply no like rigor at all to that thing where you're just sort of like, well, one of these teams is from a city that is not near an ocean and the other one very near an ocean. Uh, so a kind of a classic matchup of David and Goliath. And it's like, fuck, man, like the Guardians chose to be this way. Also, uh, Dan, uh, you know, Casas used to be the guy who would give the halftime essay on Sunday Night Football against, like, the commanders when they had their old name, and he would be, like, the moral center of Sunday Night Football. And meanwhile, he's doing this shit on TBS, so I don't, like, I mean, I know why he's doing that, but also it's like, it feels like a bit of a, I don't know, a mail-in job from him. He's just saying that shit to say it, and he doesn't, yeah. he, I don't think he fucking means a word of it, Dan. That thing where he did the... I mean, I can't believe that Bob Costas is not a big enough name that when they were like, hey, will you do the Jim Ross Owen Hart voice and pretend there was a terrorist attack on New York City so we can promote Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Ah. I was like, so, I don't know why that angers me so much. Like, if he had been like, you know, like, hippity hop, young kids, gotta watch House of the Dragon, he could have done anything else but this <laughs> and it would have been way less embarrassing. Like, yeah, because yeah, it's just I don't know. dumb. He's it's so, lame. like, he's so respected and, like, and old and I assume has a lot of, like, I know that TBS isn't his longtime place, but, like, he went there. So he must have, you know, negotiated some power into his contract. He should have said no to this and that he didn't. Yep. I, like, fuck you, Bob Costas. Like, you, <laughs> you lost all your cachet with me, Dan McQuaid. Uh, like, I'm sure you're not going to be too upset, but like, I'm serious. Like he did, it was like, you know, it wasn't too bad, but like, seriously, he really approached like, there was another 9-11 here because of the it's house of the dragon. embarrassing. Yeah. Like, it's also the sort of thing where if he had mailed that in as an actor a little bit more, it would have been better. Instead, it was like, he was putting his back in. Oh, like he, he was working with, harder yeah, on that right. than he did in you're basketball. Right. He could have said it with like full disgust and it might've been okay. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the series itself, because uh, I assume, uh, I'll ask Roth uh, this question, I assume that the Astros are, on paper, by far the best team left in the field. That hasn't meant anything in the previous rounds, but those were shorter series. These are best of seven series now. Um, are they the best team left in the field by a heavy, I, I mean, do you think that they are the heavy favorites and is inevitable uh, that the Astros will win an untainted title? <laughs> um <laughs> Or do you do you think that the good vibes can carry on throughout this postseason? It's been the best postseason I've watched in like perhaps decades. Oh, I think it's been fun as hell. Like, and I think that you know, even if well, the Astros are annoying, right? But I think that there's also like the question of how annoyed you want to be by them. That like the, mm. the cheating team, like pretty much everybody from that is gone from the front office, from you know the manager. Like the, you basically have Bregman and Altuve, who everybody will boo forever just because of how they are, right? And how fans are. I don't, I'm not as bothered by this Astros team. I don't love them necessarily, but 
the you know Astros and Yankees are the two winningest teams in the American League. They're both really really good. I think the Astros on paper are better than any of the teams that are left. Again, I don't know what that necessarily means. I feel like the Yankees have looked more wobbly, or maybe just the Guardians were more annoying than anybody was giving them credit for. But mm-hmm. I think that'll be a really fun series in the same way that I think that, you know, Padres Phillies, it's not like, you know, your marquee matchup that like Joe Scarborough was getting really geeked up to watch on Martha's Vineyard or whatever. But I think that there's like, those are two teams that are pretty well matched. Astros and Yankees, I think, are decently well-matched, too. They're just, like, there's a lot more talent, um, you know, on those rosters. The Yankees, to me, are, for a team that won 99 games, was the best team in the sport for, like, half the season and did just finish off a difficult series against an annoying team, seem uh, intensely neurotic in a way that I'm not used to seeing the Yankees be, that there's just a lot of uh, sort of, like, wobble in how they play, and I'm interested in seeing how that works because the Astros are... For a team that's got as much talent as they have, they are fucking annoying in the way that great teams are. Like, they just don't make a lot of mistakes, and they punish every mistake that you make. And that's, like, kind of a classic way to be a championship team, and I feel like the Yankees could be uncommonly susceptible to that by Um, their standards. McQuaid, where do your rooting interests lie in the ALCS? I know where they lie in the NLCS, obviously. Any team would be fine when my Phillies inevitably destroy them in the World Series. But yeah, I yes. mean, Yankees is more fun. They are the team, you know, as much as I don't want to root for the Yankees, like, I don't know, I got I got plenty of friends who are Yankees fans. I got, it's, it's you know, I, I'd like a good East Coast series to, uh, to you know, uh, to just, you know, get some qualms of East Coast, you know, get some more East Coast bias into the media. We need more yeah, of that. Yeah, finally. Um, I like the Astros in the sense that I was watching an old like WrestleMania recently, like like as know. one does. <laughs> uh, and Jesse Ventura, the body, was saying was bringing up I would say a very good point. He said that it's okay to cheat as long as you first tried to win fairly and failed. Like like only <laughs> oh, cheat I, it's a good if point. You can't. And yeah. so baseball is all about cheating. And I know that the Astros, you know, took it to a bit of another level, but. I don't know, like the Phillies had like a like a tripwire to steal signs in like eighteen ninety eight or something. Like yeah. this is a sport where you are almost encouraged to cheat. So there's there's a part of me that wants to be Jesse the body and be like, All right, well, like how are the Astros cheating this time? What do they get like what what clever scheme have they come up with now? You know, I, I'm I'm interested in seeing uh I don't know. More, more of this. However, if the if the Phillies play the Astros in the World Series, we're checking their ears all the time. The Phillies yeah. better. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, that's just, right. Just yeah, the ear feel of them. I do like the idea that either way, you're like, if the Phillies make the World Series, which we probably shouldn't be talking about that. Like, it's definitely going to happen. But yeah, it's, when the Phillies make the World Series, either way, you're getting like one of the two teams that maybe like exists in the American League where people would be like, I definitely want the Phillies to beat these guys. Like one way or another, yeah, it's either yeah, the yeah, Yankees yeah. or the Astros. And you know, like either way, it's favorite. a rematch of 1980 uh, or a rematch of 50 and 09. Um, so you know, I like those when it's like, oh, this is you can look back. You know, I love like that, like sports history, and so I love being able to look back on like weird previous series. What was different about the game then? What was the same? Um, yeah, this is uh, this is something that people don't know about uh, from our editorial process at Defector. Dan spends maybe 10 hours a week on newspapers.com just reading old sports stories, which is delightful for me because yeah, I work with him as awesome an editor. Shit. And so there's a lot of these just like crazy leads from like the 1930s or just like a really off-color joke about polio that then like segues into something about the St. Louis Browns. And you're just like, this was a different uh, different game. And then and then sometimes it could be, it could run today. Like here's, here's a thing I pulled up for that just to, that's on my desktop right now. It's about night baseball and how people are yes. against it. And it's by JCD, that famous author. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yes, that's yes. it. JCVD, Jean-Claude <laughs> Van Damme. This is from 1931 in uh, the Salt Lake Tribune. Ooh. And it opens, an exceptionally cheerless day it must be when organized baseball hasn't some sort of a dispute on its hands. Organized baseball seems more and more to care less and less for peace and tranquility. And it's like, that could be right now people complaining about the playoffs, you know, like, I mean, and obviously like, oh, it's not, oh, people complain, like people are complaining is not exactly a, a, 
a, a big headline. Uh, but you know, like it's, it's so funny how like, it's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's true nowadays. Organized baseball does seem more and more to care less and less for peace and tranquility. I might not feel like it, it that way, but I like it when it's florid and, and fancy like that in the old timey yeah. language. Hey, let's take a break and come back. We'll talk more baseball with Dan McQuaid and, uh, and with Raw. we'll be right back. Uh, we are back with Dan McQuaid, and we're going to talk. Uh, we're getting into the fun bag, and we're going to remember a guy. We're going to remember a Philly for Dan's sake. Uh, Aww, but before we you. do that, I have one uh, one more baseball question. I'm going to ask it to you, Dan. This is the last uh, Major League Baseball postseason that's going to be held without a pitch clock, uh, without uh, with li- without limited pickoff attempts, um, shift bands, or larger bases. All of those are come into format next postseason. They will not have the ghost runner. Uh, in extra innings the next postseason, same as same as this year, but all those other changes will be in effect. Are you uh, in mourning for these bygone playoff day, days already? Because you know, no sport does mourning better than baseball. You know, Dan. Well, you know, it's organized baseball. It has some sort of a dispute on its hands. Mm. Um, but no, a I rare think day it would be. All of this, all of this seem fine. Um, all of these things. I like the idea of larger bases, like. How much, like, is it good? How noticeable is it going to be? That's what I'm interested not, in seeing. Not at all. Right. Like, like an inch a couple bigger. of inches. Yeah, like, yeah. but like, I, I'm like, I'm just picturing, like, you know, like, uh, Lieutenant Frank Drebin sliding into home in uh, Naked Gun 33 and the third, where, like, it's like the big mound of dirt he snuck out of the, out of the, the, the jail. Um, like, I, they're remaking that movie, you know. I know. You know Liam with, Neeson uh, is going to be Frank Drebin now. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know, man. Um, it's uh, it's the lo- it's one of the Lonely Island guys. Um, yeah. he, I, I saw that, that and I was like, okay, all right. And then, but the end of the news item was like Seth MacFarlane is an executive producer, and I was like, oh, uh, he's, he's just giving some money, maybe. I, I'm and like yeah. he at least has some experience with like joke a minute type stuff. Like I don't. I don't think it will be terrible. Um, mm, I am cautiously optimistic page. about this. I don't know. The, I think Nisa the guy be great, um, Akiva is it Akiva Schaefer? Is that his name? He yes, yeah. I think that's correct. He directed that Rescue Rangers remake, which I really enjoyed. Like, and I thought it was going to be real garbage. Um, but this is this is Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Yeah, there's like a Chip and Dale yeah. Rescue Rangers remake that's like set in the real world and it's like it's like a roger rabbit thing where like cartoons exist in the real world but like dale is it gritty dale just no it's more just like silly like dale dale has a job like doing appearances at conventions and chip like works in insurance and then like they have to get back together to like rescue monterey jack or 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 whoever one of the other characters (laughs) and monterey jack it was good. It was, I was like, you know, I, it's a remake. I have very little patience for that kind of thing. Um, like as someone who watched all 222 episodes, of I Bay- was going to say episodes of Baywatch, like the Baywatch movie was worse than all but one of them. Um, that's incredible. So, yeah. What wow. was the, can I ask what the one episode of Baywatch was that was worse than the movie? Uh, it's amazing. It was the episode that they let David Hasselhoff direct. <laughs> and, and like what's amazing about the show is like there's a there's an 11th season that he's not involved in at all they actually were going to cancel it and then and they like uh they just like ended the season on a cliffhanger and he was supposed to come back but then they were like nope he's dead uh and so they did it another season without him and like the less involved david hasselhoff is in baywatch the worse the show is um so like that they let him direct an episode and it was the worst one they ever did is did he really Incredible. like try to put his stamp on it, like visually? Yeah, it... it was like a. It's like you know he wants to be an action star, right? Like he doesn't want to be the head lifeguard. Um, as much as like you know you do rescues in that show, you're 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 like close enough to uh, and and was he doing an like a star. like was he doing like Tom Cruise type stunts? Was Hasselhoff hanging under the wing of a like a biplane? Um, no. But okay. it was just like a, it was, you know, it's like the only thing he's ever directed. So I guess he like, either he got it or every single money man in Hollywood got it. 
<laughs> you know, what's funny is that like that happens all the time in television where one of the stars will direct an episode, but that just means they just let the director of photography do everything. So it sounds to me like the Hoff actually tried to direct the episode. Yeah. Like, and people were like, like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing? Okay, so it's season nine, episode 13. This is their final season in California before they go to Hawaii for the final two seasons. Uh, Mitch finds himself on the wrong side of the law when he becomes Uh-oh. reacquainted with Tanner, the abused nine-year-old boy whom he snatches away from his abusive father, Blake, and lets the boy stay at his house. Well, wow, Alex, the Drake LaRoche move. Well, Alex yeah. becomes Mitch's co-conspirator in helping Tanner. You know, he wanted the show to be like a spy show, I think. You know, like like very much like a like a he wanted to be MacGyver, maybe. Like there's a lot of one thing that Baywatch um Supernatural eventually passed it, but Baywatch was the longest show to never win an Emmy. Um Supernatural has been nominated for Emmys, unlike unlike Baywatch. Um and they really wanted to win an award for this show. You know, like they, they got all this ratings, all this money, and but they just, they never got the critical acclaim. And I would say with good reason. Um, but. Not uh, me. I disagree. Complete disrespect. The, disgusting. The, there's, a, there's a woman, Allison Pregler, who hosts a podcast called Baywatching that I highly recommend. And <laughs> she calls it Emmy cancer. And it's when. Baywatch just gives a character cancer to try to like make like <laughs> uh, like a heart wrenching episode. But it, this is what I remember about Baywatch as a show was that it seemed like and it, whatever it ran for a fucking decade. It seemed like the entire time it was being made by people that had only ever heard descriptions of what TV shows were like, and so we're sort of like, all right, so that's like what uh, like a helicopter crashes into it. I don't know what what happens here. Like, and that idea is really. Um, it's an impressive thing to sustain for that period of time. Like you'd think sooner or later, if you made enough TV shows, you would start to understand how a TV show is supposed to work, but maybe not. There's, there's an episode that like the, the main plot of the episode is uh, like Ric Flair and Macho Man and some other wrestler uh, like wrestle for the world heavyweight title to save the, like to save the boys gym at Venice beach. And so just like this, unreal plot with like big you know superhuman muscle men like complete Ooh, complete yeah. nonsense Ooh yeah uh and the b plot in the episode is stephanie that's the short-haired lifeguard is stephanie gets cancer like how are these your competing plots of the of the show like and I mean, that's Does Macho Man visitor by her bedside. And be like, no, free. no, no, sadly, I know sadly, you're gonna uh, be okay. <laughs> now, this would be amazing. Well, no. new, new directions and treatment. <laughs> <laughs> if that were your doctor, that would be amazing. I would like to encourage any medical doctors or or DOs or. Uh, allopathic doctors, naturopathic doctors, any kind of doctors, um, to use the Macho Man voice as your bedside manner. Would you feel good, Dan, if you went to your chiropractor and he started producing little things of non-dairy creamer from behind your ear? (laughs) (laughs) That's the best thing about that video. We're talking about, like, it was a promo that he cut with Mean Gene Okerlund where he called himself the cream of the crop. And he kept producing little tiny... Cups of creamer, like seemingly by magic. He's I don't know. Ha- he's doing hand magic. He's doing like grandpa in moves. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, you know what? We didn't answer the original baseball question, but I'm so glad we didn't. I really am. Our guy of the week, Dan McQuaid. It's Mickey Morandini. Remember that guy, of, Dan? Of course. So the Phillies had a longtime announcer, Harry Callis, um, who had an incredible voice. And yeah, are, inside the NFL guy too. Are, she, yeah, oh yeah, NFL. yeah. Did a lot of NFL films work, you know. Just not like like a like a you know like John Facenda was was yep. was from here as well. The capital F, uh, capital H. That's a it's a you know. Um, and I would say Harry Callis is like the spiritual or maybe actual successor of John Facenda. Just like a great deep sports announcer voice that makes what he's saying you know feel serious. Um, Harry Callis yeah, also, had the timber. Harry Callis also announced the first couple puppy bowls uh, before he Ooh. died. Um, <laughs> Good for him. And, you know, it was great to hear his voice, you know, being like, you know, I mean, like, it was always great to hear his voice do, you know, be like, 
the baseball voice be like, Donovan McNabb loves his chunky soup. You know, like that. that I love that <laughs> stuff. Um, but anyway, so, but he would say certain players' names. Great. And, you know, one was Bobby Abreu. And then another was Mickey Morandini. Like he always said Ooh. his name, yeah. like accentuating each syllable. You know, uh, Dykstra's on first, up to the plate comes Mickey Morandini. Like it was, well, oh, like it's that. so good. Like I'll never forget Mickey Morandini just because of the way that Harry Callis said his name. I'm going to look up where he's from, but I remember Mickey Morandini being like he's every now and then he, a team lucks into a guy like this where he just looks like a Delaware County guy. <laughs> like he's just kind of like a, like a scraggly, shitty mustache and like kind of a little like skinny in a way that like suggests drug or alcohol abuse. <laughs> but he's, I do not think he, he is from he's here. From, um, but I, he's from Kittatinning or however you say that, Kittanning, oh, PA. Okay, so he's a, he's a Pennsylvania guy. They, you know, like yeah. people people in Philly don't don't like to admit it, but we're, you know, we're Pennsylvania too. You know, we are, we are very much at least the, the white, the, the white population of, of Philadelphia is, you know, very much uh, a part of Pennsylvania. And so that makes yeah, sense would... to me. I, I, he was also, he was coaching the, uh, the Reading fighting Phils, uh, you know, for, for, for a bit. I don't know if he was the manager, but he was, uh, he's been involved in the Phillies system. When the Phillies have like a period of success in their, in their history, they like to bring back the guys who were part of that success yeah. for the rest of their lives. Like the, the, the like 1980 Phillies members, you know, like, uh, you know, would I've just been around my whole life, you know, around. That's like facility. a normal thing for a team to do. And yet somehow for the longest time under the Wilpon ownership, the Mets did the opposite of that. Like they were like, these people like Edgardo Alfonso too much. Hire him and then instantly fire him as the manager of your New York Penn League team and then pretend he never existed. I feel like this is true in D.C., but probably uh, everywhere else, like in D.C., the entire sports talk radio economy is based on this very model. Yes. So like, you know, Charles Mann and like, I don't Chris know, Cooley. Like Chris Cooley and like yep. every, everyone else who won anything with, with Washington back when they were known as the, you know, what's like they, they, they got set, they got the fucking no show radio show job. Just spewing absolute dog shit. I mean, on the air. John, hey, John, John Ritchie is a sports talk radio guy in, in Philly. He was on, mm-hmm. on the Eagles for a couple of years. Vi Sikahema, who ended his, his career here, was a sports anchor and then just became like the like one of the main news anchors for Channel 10 here. Really? For a very, That's very like, like a normal nightly news like, guy? Yeah, like, like I think there are a lot of people who just know Vi Sikahema as like local news anchor. He does the thing with the foster kids on Wednesdays. You know, he's... Uh, like it's it's very it's very funny that like I think of him as the guy who punched the goalpost after right I was yeah say, punt like, return yeah yeah like you know yeah, like, he was like a if boxer you've never seen too, that guy yeah, throw so. a combo at the Giants stadium really good, up, right really and, like one of my favorite childhood Eagles memories that that game was like a, I think it was like 47 27 or something like that's like a a very strong memory of watching that with my mom as a kid. Let's uh let's get into the fun bag as quick as we can. This is from Trent Dan. He writes in, let's say you're running for high office as a progressive candidate. What do you choose as a rally song? What would your rally song be? What would your campaign theme song be, Dan? We, we've talked about lead-up music okay. many, many times. So but if you're running for office I, I, against Mehmet Oz. I recently went, well, no, I'm a, I'm a oh, this is as a progressive candidate. So, yeah, but you know what? You can ignore that part of it. If you want to be an evil Republican, you can. No, I mean I can be either. Uh, you know, I, there are advantages and disadvantages to each running. If I'm if I'm running mm. if I'm running in Philadelphia, I better run as a Democrat. But you know, um, yes. But I could be one of those like Democrats who's actually a Republican. Um, but so I recently attended in my neighborhood, well, in my like extended neighborhood, um, a concert by an Elvis impersonator, Jeff Ooh. Crick. And I was under the impression it was just going to be Crick, the Elvis impersonator. But instead, Jeff Crick Jr. was also there, and he is also an Elvis impersonator. And so they did both their own sets. Handing down the traditions. They did both their own sets. Besides, like, babies, me and my friends were the youngest people there by, I don't know, like 300 years. Um, (laughs) And and the – so they did, uh, they, they both did their own sets. They, they both, uh, but they did some other, you know, sort of classic Americana songs on their own before they 
they got fully into Elvis costume and and performed. Right, because because everyone took a piss while they were doing their original. And shit. so Nobody before they were doing these these songs, before when they were doing this, they they sang "God Bless the USA," the Lee Greenwood song. And, right, that song, not so good. Um, you know, I associated no. with the first Gulf War. Is I think I think it's from the '80s, but I feel like it became a thing during uh, you know the 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 '91 Gulf War. And yeah, just a storm. And and he, they sang "God Bless the USA," and people reacted as if it were one the national anthem. People stood, and two as if it were the Amazing. greatest song of all time. <laughs> oh, and, brutal! And so, standing for the Lee Greenwood song is you can only that is white Philadelphia excellence. I, absolute. Oh, I actually have so a dream hard. prank. There is a version of that song that he did for Canada. It's like, God bless you, Canada. And it's like virtually <laughs> the same song. So my dream prank is to like play that at Where a sporting event. I also event. know I'm free. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. It's basically the same song. So like play that over the sound system at a PA and watch people's voices, like watch people's faces be horrified when they realize it's about Canada <laughs> and not and not America. That's great. That's great. That's like when Borat uh, went to a minor league game and sang a fake Kazakhstan national anthem. Oh, yeah, but he yeah, yeah. went on for like he went on for like twelve minutes, and like people <laughs> were like, like, like it went from being awkward, like no one knew what to say, to them just being outright hostile, which was. <laughs> that's a that's a George Carlin bit in Brain Droppings. He's like, I would love to go up to the national anthem and just sing like, oh say can you see Bartle Doe's Nargle Swarm, just like absolute nonsense <laughs> up into the. Like, Roth, uh, do you do you have a campaign sound in in mind, or is that too hard to think of on the spot? Because I can't. Think no, of it's a good question. I think that uh, like it would probably be some sort of Springsteen-y thing, but I'd have to go back because you don't want to. A lot of those are like really epic and also kind of like um, dark in their ways. Like I think New Jersey obviously does not have a complicated relationship with Bruce Springsteen. It's pretty um, embarrassingly uncomplicated, but. A lot of those songs that like you can't just like adopt Thunder Road or Born to Run as your state song because like the whole rising action of the song is like it's a nowhere town. There's nothing for us here. <laughs> We're dying. Like it is grinding us into dust. So let's go drive on the highway for a while and like feel alive. And so you have to I mean, whatever, this is like the whole history of Springsteen too, is like people seeing that he's like a white guy in blue jeans and being like he's probably singing about how like there should be less immigration or whatever right. i'll just like go with he that. must he must be poor that guy yeah and so like a lot of those songs it wasn't um it wasn't my hometown it was like reagan was really into like a very depressing springsteen song and springsteen told him to stop using it it was one of the very first of those well didn't he use born us in the usa yeah, born famously in the USA, without what knowing what the fuck it meant is, right. Yeah, it was sort of like, I don't know. It can't be about post-traumatic stress. It's probably just right. about like how at least <laughs> he knows he's here. free yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And so anyway, I don't know. One of the uh, a lower key Springsteen song, because you don't want to over-promise and under-deliver. If I'm running as a progressive candidate, I would be running in the district I grew up in against Josh Gottheimer and mm. probably losing. <laughs> so I would uh, want to keep it, keep my ambitions close to close to home. Drew, I feel like your answer to this is going to be very good. No, you're actually wrong. I can't think of it. I would, you know, because really? I, I, I wouldn't think of anything earnest. Like I would just, because I wouldn't have any chance of winning. So I definitely put on like aggressive perfecter by Slayer or something like that. And just <laughs> get you down on your knees. Just something like that. Hey, uh, James writes in, Dan, what is the distraction take on chili cheese dogs? Understanding that this will be the standard from now on. Are you a fan Dan McQuaid of chili cheese dogs. The cheese is the important part for me. No, I eat like a like a second grader. Like I have like a very I'm a very picky eater. Selective eating, my therapist calls it, but let's not mince words. I'm a big baby picky eater. So <laughs> I eat my hot dogs plain, maybe with pickles. Um so any ketchup or mustard? Uh no. Um oh, I used to say my joke used to be I eat like Donald Trump, but then people thought that that meant I took my steaks well done, and even I have my yep. limits. Um, so <laughs> when you go to Tad's, so when you I, I will need Tad's your and Roth's steaks. take on chili cheese dogs. So, uh, so go ahead, Roth. I think that it's a little too complicated for me, and I like a hot dog that's got a bit of business going on on it. I love Chicago style hot dogs, and those are like complicated for me to eat without fucking up and getting like sport pepper on my clothing, but. 
the chili cheese dog, I, I like the way that all of those things taste together. I don't want to feel like I'm constantly wanting to use a knife and fork. And I just feel like it's messy. Yeah, you know what? That's exactly my take because I love chili dogs. I even love the mess of them, like licking the chili off my fingers and stuff like that. But I've actually never had a chili cheese dog because it's just like the cheese would be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And like the camel's back is already well broken with a fucking ladle full of goddamn yes. doo-doo chili sitting on top of it. So it's like, it's just too much. Even though I take cheese in my chili if I'm having a bowl of chili. So really, I am a land of contrast. Yeah. I have a standard that is more of a kind of know it when you see it type of thing than anything I can put my finger on. For types of food that I would be embarrassed to eat in front of another person, like if I could eat a chili cheese dog in the dark <laughs> and then just be discreetly hosed off afterwards so that no one knew how badly I'd done, that would be fine. But there was my favorite sandwich that I used to get at uh, Mets games, uh, Mamas of Corona. Wait, we love Mamas of Corona, Leo's Latticini. Uh, it's a great product. Mm-hmm. The they don't They're not at the stadium anymore. They made a sandwich that was... Roast turkey, fresh mozzarella, marinated mushrooms, and then gravy. It's delicious. Uh, but it was definitely one that I would like. I wouldn't eat it in front of anybody whose opinion mattered to me. <laughs> like, I just don't think that it would be. It's not dignified. That's like my old and man, I, when, uh, when I went on a job interview at lunch, his advice was like, just don't order anything messy. Like, you've ordered spaghetti and meatballs when you have a job interview lunch. You're <laughs> fucked. Right. <laughs> That's totally right. That's definitely like old guy wisdom. But it's yeah, also no. tough because. He's I think wise, for all of us, you? we like, I mean, I, Dan, obviously, whatever, plain hot dogs is one thing. Like, you're a pizza-eating man. Like, there's a lot of different things that you could eat that would mess you up, and that's mostly where my first instinct is going to be for lunch. And yet, so the idea of getting something discreet and then eating it very carefully feels off. All right, one more, uh, Dan. Uh, this is from Brad. Recently, I watched not one, but two documentaries about Woodstock 99, and what an absolute clusterfuck it was. One thing that struck me was some folks laid a good chunk of the blame at the lineup and said that aggressive bands like Corn and Limp Biscuit attracted an angry, violent fan base that was primed to meltdown after three days of crazy heat and $7 bottles of water. That got me wondering, is there anyone out there who would still unironically claim that Limp Biscuit is their favorite band today? Anyone who sports a proudly sports a Fred Durst tattoo, does it all for the nookie and desperately waits for an announced reunion tour. At their prime, Limp Biscuit was one of the biggest bands out there. So are there any diehards who never moved on? Now, I know the answer to this is yes, Dan McQuaid, but I also feel like you might actually know that person. I, I do not know any big Limp Biscuit fans. He, Fred Durst, is hosting a Halloween party on the Moshaloo, uh, which is a ship restaurant in Philadelphia. Um, really? in the Delaware, he's hosting it Saturday, a, a Halloween party, um, that, uh, yeah, is just Fred Durst's Halloween party on the Mashaloo. The Mashaloo is a restaurant that I remember when the owner was interviewed in Philadelphia magazine, they asked him what his favorite restaurant was. And he said, the Mashaloo, I don't know if it was the owner, maybe the chef or whatever. <laughs> and then they said, other than your own. And he said, none come to mind. Um, yeah, so that's I will never forget this <laughs> interview. The the Machalu is also in, I believe it's Godfather Two in the background as a as a ship. Um, but so, anyway, I once saw a guy on Twitter. Uh, shout out to uh, David Thorpe, a, a music writer. He doesn't I, who yeah I like at R yeah A R R another three character Twitter handle uh, like me. Um, he once found a guy on Twitter with two weedus tattoos. So if someone has <laughs> two weedest yeah. tattoos, you know, Teenage Dirtbag, that's their song. That's their only song, as far as I know. Um, I assume they have, like, I assume they had an album, you know, but, but yeah, I certainly, it was on but the like, record. I can name many Limp Bizkit songs. So if, if Weedus has fans with several tattoos, Limp Bizkit must have, like, super fans. Um, yeah. Uh, One thing I will give Durst credit for is that he stopped making music. Right. He started making like horror movies and stuff. Like I did all for the rookie. But at least he like, it's not the sort of thing where like most of those guys, when they fucking hang around longer, like sooner or later you wind up where the, like the stained guy is where you're playing like convention centers and all of your songs are about like, high gas prices and like <laughs> I mean George like a couple Soros. of years ago I saw Gary US Bonds just play the Atlantic City boardwalk and like it was just like a random concert on the boardwalk that attracted like passers by 
And like, not that yeah. this guy was big or anything, but like, and I only knew his name because his name is Gary U.S. Bonds. Um, but like, it was just so weird. Like he was in his late seventies, you know, and like, maybe he enjoys it, you know, no offense to, to, to Mr. U.S. Bonds, but, uh, yeah, it was just like, uh, you know, if you want to do that, great. If you don't want to, please go host Halloween parties on, on the right. Marshall. Dan, so I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Dan. Like I have no idea who Gary U.S. Bonds is. I have never heard he of him. He was, uh, he, well, he holds, to my mind, still holds the actual home run record in baseball, but it's very disputed. <laughs> oh, oh, this is a baseball player. This was not. No, like he's a, not. He's a musician. Oh, yeah. wait, just look at me. I fell um, right into it. By yeah, the way. I was, before I get dry. to the credits, I do I do want to note that I drove up to uh, our little Pennsylvania retreat for Defector with Dave McKenna, the singular Dave McKenna. Found a uh, stopped at a gas station that was also a full service weed dispensary, just out in the open, and never came across another one when I stopped for gas after that. That's but I don't, we taught somehow weed is not legal about, in Pennsylvania. I don't know what your what you I swear to fuck, it was Frackville, Pennsylvania. I swear to God, this this was true. I saw it. <laughs> Drew smoking that. I was yeah. Too. I was I didn't smoke before I drove. But anyway, the point is, uh, Dave McKenna regaled me. Who has Dave McKenna is a seasoned musician. He knows musicians. He has the strangest music takes on the fucking planet by far. And he said that Limp Biscuit was one of the best live acts he had ever seen in his life. He was wow. blown. Away by them. Whatever. So yes, Dave I has think... the worst music taste possible. For like someone <laughs> that who's, is that is for someone who's like musical taste, I respect. He also has terrible musical takes. So he will think... uncork some stinkers. The best is uh, Prince being boring and lame. Yeah, he said that five minutes after Prince died. He was like, he was like, <laughs> Prince hit him, fucking hit him with the Z's. Yeah, what a fucking snooze fest. He's no James Dolan, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Brandon Nix and Chantel Holder are our producers. Nora Ritchie is our Nora Ritchie is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. Thanks to Roth and Dan McQuaid and me. You can get free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector 2 while you're at it, Dan McQuaid. This was lovely. I'd wish you luck to the Phillies. And I, I kind of do. But if the Padres win, I wouldn't be heartbroken. But for this episode, I'm going to say... Good luck to the Phillies. We're going to have to have him back on to talk about the Eagles in a few weeks. No, no, no. We're not going to We didn't even talk about the Eagles. I could even go on for longer about that. Sorry. Yeah, no. It's over. Bye, everybody. Sorry. (laughs) Goodbye. See you next week. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Oh, wait. Jalen Hurts.